Have you enjoyed the summer series Reset with the Psalms? Yes, brilliant. Um, as a reminder, we called it Reset or Reset uh, because we wanted to encourage all of us to contemplate where we might need a reset in our faith, in our discipleship, and in our spiritual formation by going deep into this well-known and much-beloved psalm, verse by verse. So today we bring the series to a close with the title, What's Following You? Looking at the very last verse that we sang there, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen. So to conclude the series, um, I want us to start by taking a look at the structure of Psalm 23, because when we do, I hope we'll notice something really important, something that overarches all of the verses that we've looked at so far and brings us to land on the last verse. And what we notice is that everything hinges on the wisdom of the very first part of the very first verse, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd and then everything else is conditional on that statement. The Lord is my shepherd and therefore I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, notice it goes from the impersonal he to the very personal you. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. So, because of all that, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Does that make sense? So, the Lord is my shepherd. Central to the very final verse of this psalm and every other verse is one single burning question. Is the Lord your shepherd. Can you, in all honesty, say, yes, Jesus is my Lord and my shepherd today? And many of us here today might say, yes, of course, we're Christians, we're in church. What are you saying, Will? Of course we are. But that's not the same thing. I think if you want to say yes to Jesus is my Lord and shepherd, then Jesus makes it clear that you need to know him, and you need to know his voice. John 10, 27, he says, My sheep hear or listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. You can know the Bible, scriptures very, very well. You can come to church religiously. Pharisees and the Sadducees of Jesus' day were brilliant at all that stuff. But if you don't know his voice, if you're not into Jesus, you're him day by day know his voice if you are following him and to follow him means you completely trust him you put him above everything else and walk him the center of your life in a nutshell depends on who you're following. saying today is what's following you take a simple example 
We have many people here at Junction 10, looking to my left there, towards one of our elders, who follow different teams. And what follows them that has a successful football team like Liverpool or Manchester? Well, maybe they don't live in that city, but perhaps they were born in that city. Or maybe a football team, doesn't it? And if they do, then what follows them, more often than not, is joy and fulfilment and peace and certainty that there's going to be some silver in the trophy room at the end of the season. Love the black country and therefore support our local teams like West Brom or Warsaw or Wolves or Villa. Well, you can know that football doesn't flip. What follows them is a bit more variable. I'm looking at the masses here. How about maths? Where are they? Um, I could say uh, there's a simple, a simple equation. So who you follow multiplied by how you follow. Very simple. Um, when I equals what follows you, a trick on me. And what he did, and you can, you can do this for yourself, he reeled off quite a complex maths problem, and I, and I was writing it down as quickly as I could, and he said it quite quickly. 10. Um, so what's 60 plus 7? 727 minus 356, and he carried on like that for a while, and I'd be scribbling it away, and then th at the very end he'd say, multiplied by zero. Laughing, and now the answer to this. But I'd start at the beginning, I'd, I'd try and work out the answer, and I, I was only little, so it was like taking me ages. And after quite a while, with a bit of a grin on his face, he'd reveal that there was a simple and quick way of solving this. Is equals zero. See, you know that. Now, once I knew that, I didn't fall for that trick again. But as Christians, I think we Jesus I follow, not Krishna or Buddha, um, but the way we follow Jesus, if that amounts to zero then that's what follows us because anything multiplied by zero is zero. Now, to be honest, I think I've reached the limits of my football or maths analogies. Praise the Lord, I hear you say. Um, so let's go back to the Bible and apply this to the shepherd. When you follow the good shepherd, you are under his protection. And we've heard that throughout the series. You have all the blessings of this psalm. But as Vicky mentioned the other week, that happens when you are in close proximity to the shepherd. You see, you can have no shepherd at all. Or you can follow the wrong shepherd. And do you know, you can even be stolen by a bad shepherd. Jesus said it himself, the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's John 10, 10. So if you want life to the full, then the start of this psalm is key. The Lord is my shepherd. And I don't know about you, but in Christian circles, I think we've become a little bit accustomed to using the word Lord in our prayers, in our everyday language. But because outside of Christianity these days, it's not a word that's in common usage, it can lose a little bit of its power. So let's just refresh that a Lord is someone with complete authority over your life. They have complete power. They have complete control. A Lord is someone who rules and reigns. Now Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. 
but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. He goes on to say, many will say to me on that day, and on that day he's talking about the end of the age when we stand up in judgment before the Lord, and many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name we drove out demons, and in your name we performed many miracles. But then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And this is a stark warning for us, I think, about following the shepherd and about what true salvation is. Because sometimes I think in, in evangelical circles we can think to be saved is a bit of a functional transaction. Um, but it's not, it's not a functional transaction. It's not a, a single one-time put your hand up in church and then you go into heaven. It, I, I hope we know that it's more than that. Because salvation is actually an ongoing, life-giving process of transforming relationship with the good shepherd. And I think if we're trying to fit a little bit of Jesus into a busy schedule, rather than him being the centre of our life, if we maybe occasionally go to Jesus in times of trouble or when we need something, but not following him on a daily basis, then I have to ask, is Jesus your saviour and your Lord? Because this passage says, even if you're performing miracles and casting out demons and prophesying, Jesus is saying that doesn't necessarily mean you know him or that you're known by him. Now, it's not like Jesus said this once. If we look at Matthew 25, 31 to 33, Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious th throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people, one from the other, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then Jesus goes on to say that those on his right, his true sheep, he'll say to them, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. But to those on his left, the goats, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Different passage, same message. So I'd hope that we all here want to inherit the kingdom, inherit the real good news, and be a true disciple. But perhaps there's a reset we need to make here. Our key reset question for this part of the psalm is whether we have truly made Jesus the Lord and shepherd of our life. Have we come into submission? Are we yielding daily to his way for our life in the same way that a sheep submits and yields to the shepherd? Are we following closely and being formed by him to live fully surrendered, Christ-centered lives? Very simply, are we truly his sheep? Are we really following him? So that's the reset question for the first part. So now that we know that our shepherd must also be our Lord for this psalm to apply for us, let's move on to this last verse, verse 6. And this psalm was written by King David. And he said, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And as we've seen in this series, there exists a close 
inseparable relationship between the good shepherd and his sheep. An unbreakable bond that unites them and us as one. And verse 6 reinforces this truth and makes it absolutely abundantly clear. David begins this verse by underscoring the certainty of this union with the first word, surely. And I hope today that you can use that word with confidence, surely. There should be no doubt at all in our minds that this is to be believed with an unwavering assurance. No matter how dark the valley, regardless of how deep the chasm, surely this goodness and mercy belong to us, his sheep. And the near presence of the shepherd with his loving care is an indisputable truth. His concern for us must never, ever, ever be doubted. Nor his care for us questioned. Because with the true certainty of God's irrevocable covenant love, his abundant goodness is firmly committed to his flock. And when David testifies that goodness will follow him, he uses a Hebrew word that represents the attractive way God shows his love for his sheep. And, and when we talk about goodness, I'm reminded of Moses. So if you, if you went back to the Bible, right to one of the early chapters in Exodus, one of the early books in the Bible, Exodus 33, verse 18 to 19. Verse 18 said, Then Moses said, this is talking to God, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. God's goodness is his glory. God is perfectly good in character. Amen. He's flawlessly good in all his actions. Therefore, he can only do good to his beloved flock. And this is demonstrated in his attentive care for their many needs, as we've heard over the past five weeks in this series. Now, David also states that mercy follows him. Now, that word mercy in the NIV uh, version translates to love. It says, surely goodness and love will follow me. And as we heard in the song, surely goodness, love and mercy will follow me. And the New Living Translation uses the word unfailing love, uh, where it says mercy. So this is the, the mercy is the unconditional love of the good shepherd towards all of those that the Father has chosen and entrusted to him. He loves them, us, with his sovereign love that can never, ever be extinguished. Even when we are faithless, the Bible says he remains faithful to us. So if God's goodness is his glory... And God's mercy is his unfailing love. I would say that we could say that God's favour follows me all the days of my life. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Doesn't that sound great? But that's not all. The Hebrew verb translated follow, so surely goodness and mercy will follow me, actually means will pursue me. So it's, it's, an, it's not just, a, oh, I'm going to follow. It's an emphatic expression which signifies God's wonderful freeness and readiness to do good to his people. 
So the word follow pictures these two virtues of goodness and mercy or unfailing love as actively pursuing us. In fact, staying with a shepherd picture, but in a modern day context, it could be said that the twin components of divine love are like two sheepdogs that help the shepherd corral his flock. They shall go around the flock in order to steer them in the right direction. When the sheep go astray, these sheepdogs go around and bring them back. When we slow down, they spur us on. And this is what happens with goodness and mercy that pull up the rear. They are constantly driving us closer to the good shepherd. And then if that's not enough, we then have this last bit, all the days of my life. Doesn't that sound good? All the days of my life. David concludes that God will continue to show favour even though you might walk through the darkest valley, even though there will be trials and tribulations, God will continue to show favour because nothing can separate us from the love of God if we don't separate ourselves from it. Nothing can separate us. So perhaps a reset for us today on this part of the psalm could be that we need to discover for the first time or maybe rediscover the assurance of the goodness and mercy and the unfailing love of God. Perhaps that's where our reset needs to be. And this leads us to the last part of the verse. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And this is, uh, in, in, in what David's doing here, he's paralleling back to the all the days of my life earlier in the psalm. Um, earlier in this verse, in fact, and this was a statement of intent. Whereas David had formerly been driven from God's house, he rests assured that he will now constantly enjoy that blessed privilege of worshipping and enjoying God in his sanctuary, which is prized more than all of David's dominions. This is where David longs to be. And this is expressed later in Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I've desired of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And also in Psalm 84, David says it again. Better is one day in your courts, God, than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God, than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Now, do you think that David meant that he just wanted to physically spend all and every day in the temple? I, I, I don't think it is. David was a king and he knew his kingly duties. So he wasn't saying that, well, I'm going to be a priest and I'm going to be in residence in the house of God. Rather, he anticipated and desired a life as if he dwelt there. And as if he was constantly engaged in holy occupations, even when he was doing his kingly duties. That his life would be spent as if in the constant service of God. His joy and his peace would be as if he was always within the immediate dwelling place and presence of the Most High. And this expresses a desire of the heart for a true child of God. The longing of the soul for a sense of the continual presence of God. 
the sheep getting as close to the shepherd's legs as possible for constant communion with him. And as you know, all of these Psalms were written in what we now call the Old Testament, where the house of the Lord was used to signify the physical tabernacle or the temple, and that was where the presence of God was said to dwell. But when Jesus died on the cross, God's dwelling place became our bodies. We are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. So what David longed for is now ours to take hold of because Jesus invites us to abide in him and he will abide in us. That word abide is the same word as dwell. Jesus invites us to dwell in him and when we do, Jesus dwells in us. And perhaps this might need your reset. This might, this might be where a reset happens for you. To once more have that longing to dwell in the house of the Lord, to be in God's presence. And so as we come to the end of this verse, we come to the very last word, forever. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now when David said forever, he probably wasn't thinking of eternity like we might, but rather he was linking it to all the days of my physical life. But I think his words here as a prophetic edge for us today. They look still further to a perfection of bliss in a future state that we now inhabit through the cross. It's as if David said, the divine goodness and mercy have followed me all the days of my life and then when that's ended, I shall be removed to a better world, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, for eternity, the house of my heavenly Father, in which there are many mansions where the church of God will constitute one fold under one shepherd. And who's that shepherd? Jesus. Jesus is that one shepherd, and he is good. And he's good not just because he's our shepherd, because he's a shepherd like no other, because he's also the lamb of God. You don't often get a shepherd that's a lamb, but in Jesus we have a good shepherd who's the lamb of God. John the Baptist said of him, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this happened through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross that we're going to celebrate in just a few short moments, the lamb that was slain. And then as we look in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible that talks about what will happen at the end of time. In Revelation 17 verse 14 it says, the lamb will triumph because of the Lord, because he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings and with him will be his called, chosen and faithful. Thank you. So amen for that. Yeah. And when Jesus calls us his sheep, He's indicating that we share his likeness, that we have indeed been chosen and created in his image and our ongoing act of salvation, of sanctification and of spiritual formation should be to live so close to the shepherd that we're continually being transformed into his image day by day, the image of Christ. Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, and we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, 
who is the Spirit. And Romans 8, 28, sorry, Romans 8, 29 says, For those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed, that means to be made like, the image of his Son, so that he might be the firstborn amongst many brothers and sisters. That's you and I, Junction 10. So as we conclude, we come back to the question, what's following you? And as we've said, what's following you depends on who you're following and how you follow. Now, I use the Lectio 365 app. We've mentioned it a few times. I know a number of you do as well. And um, a few days back, uh, one of the recent reflections was the story in Mark 10. And you might know this story. It's a young man comes to Jesus and asks what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. And I wonder whether some of you today might be thinking, you know, I've heard this now. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And Lectio went on to say, it's tempting to think that to be a Christian is enough. It's enough to receive Christ, to add Jesus to my already crowded life. But in truth, everyone who follows Christ must, in the end, make the same sacrifice, to leave everything behind and follow him. What follows you depends on who you follow and how you follow. Have you decided to follow Jesus now turning back? Jesus knows when he asks us to leave something behind, it's not the physical, tangible thing that's the issue, like the riches or the wealth, but rather it's our internal attachment to them that's getting in the way of us truly following him. This attachment, and we don't always realise we've got them, This rich young man may not have realised why he was sad, but it might be attachment to the psychological protective walls that we've built around ourselves to protect ourselves. Or it might be the image we've constructed so that the outside world believes we're more perfect, more healed, more successful, or more whole than we actually are. It might be our sense of security or comfort that we've placed maybe in our family or our home or our job or our livelihood or our savings. But Jesus says, I am enough. Leave that behind and follow me. So do we find ourselves challenged again? Is this where your reset needs to be? Ask yourself, have I left everything to follow Jesus now turning back? Or is there still something that I am holding back? Something I'm afraid to let go of. Do I need to lose the thing I've built my life on in order that I might find the true life that Jesus has prepared for me? The good news is, in that story, after the young man left and his disciples were questioning Jesus, what about us? The verse goes on to show the treasures that will follow us when we do Follow Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel 
will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, home, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, along with persecutions, so, you know, there's a bit of a barb in that one, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. So if the worship team could come up, please. We're now going to take communion as a response to how God has been speaking to us today. So the worship team are going to gently play a a, a worship song, um, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. And as they play, this is the time, if you could please go and fetch your bread and juice. There are stations at the, the back left, at the back and at the right. And what I'd like you to do, if you don't mind, is fetch your bread and juice and hold on to it, don't take it, and return to your seat. And then I'll lead us into taking them together. But if you'd like to go and get your bread and juice now, please.